Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message. How many know it's going to be good when the Word of God is here? Glory to God. Hey, let's turn to your Bibles real quick. I'm, 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 I'm like burning in my heart to release this word because, you know, someone told me, if you saw that clip, that clip on DR when I was going, hallelujah, hallelujah, I was telling the pastors, I said, look, if you want a church to be on fire, you need to lead the way as a senior pastor. So a lot of times someone would tell me, man, I want what you got. I'm like, sometimes I don't feel anything, but I'm saying hallelujah, glory to God, because I don't want to praise God based on feelings. Amen? So let's get excited, guys. I know it's morning time. I know the, the summer is ending, but let's continue with a fire in our hearts for the, for the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Now, I, uh, b- before you turn it there, I, I want to just, let's, let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to every one of us today. Encourage us, Lord, and release your word with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Luke chapter 1, verse 8 in the NLT. Uh, and be- but before I read, I, I, wanna, I had a little intro that I wrote down that I want to share with you guys. Because the more that I study scripture, okay, Luke chapter 1 is going to be in the NLT up there. But the more I study Scripture, I see and I realize that the the, the Scriptures, guys, are filled with lessons and principles for humanity to live a victorious life, right? So if you read Scriptures just as a a story, then it's it's really going to have a a minimal impact. But you realize that there's key instructions and key principles in Scripture that are written in Scripture through the Lord, through men and women, Listen, the Lord is causing us to see the lessons, the instructions, and the principles that are given in Scripture. And so it's fair to say that in my study of Scriptures, okay, that um, before we read this, is that the Lord really communicates these lessons or these principles in like five major ways, okay? So like I know there's more when it comes to the subcategories of how God speaks, but the, when we open up the Bible and we want instruction, the Lord usually throughout the Scripture speaks through like five major ways, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more subcategories, but for instance, we, we see lessons and instructions through the teachings and writings of people. In other words, you look at the New Testament, the writings of Paul is actually a teaching almost outline and the and the uh, and the teachings of John the beloved they are teaching us something so it's like a teacher teaching and we're reading it and we're learning doctrine okay other ways that God gives instructions is through dreams the other ways that he gives lessons in scripture I'm talking about is is visions the, the people that have visions and we read those visions and we get lessons from them can I hear an amen you follow me right? There's a reason why I'm saying this. And then there's other times where the lessons come from God himself, where God through a prophet will be able to speak, and he himself is saying, I tell this nation this, tell this person this, right? And then some, in the, especially in the Old Testament, the lessons that we learn or the principles we learn from Scripture are actual stories that are being read that are being applied to our life. So watch this. The reason why I say that is because today we're going to look at some powerful lessons on the way that the Lord speaks to us through Scripture by an angel. Now, an angel of the Lord gave instructions to a father about a person, that his son, that was not yet born. And the angel of the Lord described the characteristics of this person 
that we're going to read about. And this, these characteristics are powerful lessons that you and I need to adopt, hear me now, to have a fruitful Christian life and a fruitful ministry. So I'm even talking, and a business as well. I'm talking about those who want to be in ministry, those of you who want to have a fruitful life. How many want to have a fruitful life in God? These lessons that we're going to share from is all really from one verse. I'm, from the, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today, but the majority of what I'm going to speak on is I'm pulling it from one verse, prophetically giving you the characteristics that the angel of the Lord said to this individual and so that we could apply it to ourselves. And that person that we're going to talk about is no, is no other than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a powerful man. I want you to listen to this because John the Baptist was wild. Everybody say wild. He didn't fit into the system. Can I hear an amen? And so, like, it, yeah, he, he, was, he was one who lived in the deserts, yet he grew, the Bible says he grew in the deserts. So I want you to look at Luke chapter 1. It's going to encourage you. 8, verse 17. And listen, I give you permission to say amen, preacher, pastor, go on. Glory to God. All right. So it says, verse 8. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. I want you to get your Bibles out. Come on, seriously. Get your Bibles out, get your tablet out, and follow along with me. You come to church to, to grow and to encounter the Lord, not just to sit there and critique what, what, how good the service was. Amen? One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Could you imagine that picture? Could you imagine that picture? While we're doing duties in the church inside, there's a great crowd praying outside. Man, we haven't seen that at all. Imagine a great crowd praying at the same time people are doing worship service in here. So we're having worship service in here, and outside they're like, Lord, move in there. While Zechariah was, was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar. And look at what it continues to say. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw this angel. Watch. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer for your wife, Elizabeth, who was barren up to this point, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Everybody say John. we got some wild Johns up in here. We love our youth pastor John. He's wild, and we love him. Watch. And you shall name his, and by the way, that was very contrary to custom. It, it wasn't, it wasn't to custom there. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now, I want you to hone in on verse 15, because verse 15 is for you. Turn to somebody and say, that's for you. Because verse 15, prophetically, is what I'm going to share. I'm going to pull three main dynamics just from verse 15. Now, I could go longer because there's more dynamics than just verse 15, but I'll continue that next week. Look at what the angel said about John the Baptist before he even was born. And he was highlighting, watch this, he was highlighting characteristics of John the Baptist that I believe God wants us to have today. Can I hear an amen? Are you ready for this? He said, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Preach somebody. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn 
many Israelites to the Lord their God. Keep going. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people. This is for next week. For the coming of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Speaks of restoration, a ministry of restoration, which we desperately need in America. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. He will cause those who are religious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Turn back to verse 15, and this is where we're going to harp on. Verse 15 says, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to put that first slide up, uh, Zach, about principles from John the Baptist. Because today we're going to have some principles from John the Baptist for a fruitful life and a fruitful ministry. You want, if you want a fruitful life and a fruitful ministry, I want you to take close attention to verse, the dynamics of verse 15. Because the angel of the Lord said, he the first one, which is this, put the first point up there. He will be great in the sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, thank God that the angel did not say he would be great only. Because if the angel would have said he will be great, then it will be leave, uh, left up to us humans to determine what greatness is. Because he didn't say he would be great. He said he would be great in the sight of the Lord. Oh, I'm not getting amens here. There's a difference between shooting for something that society has deemed to shoot after. And there's another thing to shoot after what specific the Lord has. The Bible clearly says that one of the attributes of John the Baptist is that he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. I'm glad because if he, if he said he will be great, you know how many Christians will constantly live in condemnation and not measuring up to a standard that is impossible to get? Because if he would just say he would be great, then it will be left to our definition of what greatness is. And we will be chasing after something that we think we have to attain in order to be great. We will attain for more money in order to be great. We will attain for a better body in order to be great. Yes, get healthy. But, but we will attain for the, the, per, the, perfect, the perfect marriage. And, and the truth of the matter is we will never have the perfect marriage. We will never have the perfect body. We will never have... A the, the, the perfect financial situations. So if we are only searching for greatness and not having a specifics of greatness, then it will cause us to get, go down a very dark road of frustration and sometimes depression. Because inside every one of us, there's a desire to be impactful. Every one of us has a desire to be great. But the problem is that we don't have a measuring rod or a set bar of what great is. So we're searching for greatness, and we're always trying harder, and we're always performing longer, and we're always doing all these things because we're achieving greatness. But greatness without any specific instruction will lead to a frustrated life. It will lead to a frustrated life because, listen, the moment we measure greatness by how much accomplishments we've gotten in humanistic stand form, how much money we have in our bank account, the moment we measure greatness by how many people are in a worship service or in a Christian event, an event it will cause us to lose the joy with everything we have. We are constantly measuring ourselves with greatness, but greatness, how we're measuring ourselves, what we're not really uh, understanding is that to some people, and I'm going to ask you to be open with yourselves, some people are struggling with condemnation because all your life you've tried to measure yourself up and you think you're not great because you're measuring up to something that society has deemed you have to search for. 
But thank God that the angel didn't say he'll be great. He says he'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. Totally different than just being great. Because your definition of being great and God's definition of being great in his eyes are two different things. Oh, that's, good to, that's a good place to say amen. There's so much freedom when there's a specific road to greatness. If I were to say, hey, I need you to be great. I needed you to be greater in your life. And all I said was, I need you to be greater in your life. Without any specifics, you would go in five, ten different directions. One of, some of my friends will go this way. They say, well, if I work harder and I get enough money, then finally I'll be great. I'll be great. Or if you say, well, I'm just going to get my act together and I'm, I'm going to stop complaining and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be faithful, then I'll, then I'll be great. Or if I had a lot of people in my organization, then I'll be great because we measure greatness by a worldly standpoint instead of the eyes of the Lord. And so just being great alone without specific instructions will lead us to a frustrated life. But the angel of the Lord says he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Say that with me. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. One more time. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. Now, as a Christian, what does it mean to be great in the eyes of the Lord? What does it mean to be great in the eyes of the Lord? What is the Lord looking for when, he, when it comes to greatness in his eyes? Oh, I'm going to free you up today because it does not have to do with trying to perform harder, work harder, or be a perfect person. Being great in the eyes of the Lord has, speaks of the place of hiddenness, like John the Baptist was, a place of hiddenness and intimacy with the Lord that will cause you to be obedient to his vo voice and his word. In other words, being, being great in the sight of the Lord has to do with how we execute obedience to his word. And I'm going to show you why this is important because if we strive for greatness, I've seen people quit ministries. I've seen people burn out because they're chasing greatness out there and they feel like they have never good enough. You feel, like you're, you're, you feel like your body is never good enough. You feel like your work is never good enough. You feel like your assignment is never good enough. You feel like your money is never good enough. You feel like your calling is never good enough. Come on, you know I'm preaching good right now. Some of you beat yourself up because you think you're not good enough. You think that, you're, you, think that you, you have to do this, and, the, and, and you always have this spiritual stick that you're beating yourself. Oh, man, I, I, I haven't worked hard. My marriage is not where it should be, and, and, and my finance is not where it should be. It may never be where you want it to be, but what is the definition of greatness in God's eyes? I'm going to free you up today because some of you are frustrated because you think you have failed God. It, when you pursue greatness in general, you always have a failure mentality. That's a, good, that's a good point to say amen. You will have a failing mentality if you're aimlessly aiming just for greatness. Well, if you're aiming for greatness, you will never achieve it because there's no set bar for it. There's no set bar in society. Now you've achieved greatness. No. Now, why do I say that? Because this is important to free you. What does it mean to be great in the eyes of the Lord? It means to, watch this. One of the ways to be great in the eyes of, of the Lord is when we seek to walk out the first and second commandment with all our hearts. When, watch this, watch this, watch this. To be great in the eyes of the Lord is to 
to seek out the first and great commandment and the second great commandment. What's the first commandment? What's the first and greatest commandment? Watch this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Pretty simple, right? And then he goes, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So watch this. In order to start being great in the eyes of the Lord, start contending to loving God with all your heart and loving people with all your heart. When you start loving God, and it's simple, will we make it so difficult? To be great in the eyes of the Lord is to love God well and love people well. When you begin to start on that journey, then you won't have to have all these false expectations of, man, I got I to gotta be. It, you know what? Even if you have a business and you don't have a, a certain thing that you achieve, yes, we have goals. Yes, we have things we need to achieve. But don't label yourself a failure because you're not great in that area or, or, or whatnot because you can still be great in the eyes of the Lord. Could you imagine what it would be like for you to just strive for greatness without no one giving you the instruction of what to attain for? Do you know why people uh, uh, have self-hatred? You know that that's a big thing right now. People cut themselves they, or they hate themselves. You know why? Because they're secretly not satisfied with where they're at. Because they're chasing a, a society worth of greatness and they get depressed. I'm going to tell you right now, you will get depressed if you're trying to chase after the American dream version of greatness. Because then you'll never have enough. You'll never be that perfect. You never have ripped abs like me. I mean, <laughs> seriously, you'll never be the right weight. You'll, you'll, you'll never be, you'll never have the perfect marriage. You'll never have the, 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 enough finances. And so we keep measuring ourselves up. And so what do we do? We work harder. We work harder. And we get depressed. And we work harder. And then when we achieve that level, it's not enough. And then we, when we achieve this level, it's not enough. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. To be great in the eyes of the Lord, now I want you to write this down, is to walk in obedience to God's word. Oh, man, that's a good moment. It's simple. To be great in the eyes of the Lord, love Jesus with all your heart, love people, watch this, and seek obedience to the word of God. And God says, you are great in my eyes. You'll be great in my eyes. I remember the story. If you could put Zach, uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 in the NLT. This is a story, and I love how it reads in the NLT, where the prophet Samuel told, the, um, told uh, Saul that he was being disobedient. Now watch this. Being great in the eyes of the Lord is obedience. I want to just say this. Well, I'm going to read this, and then, then I'm going to share my heart on that. Because I think with all these new movements that we have in the church today, that we think obedience is old school. Or legalistic. It's not legalistic. It's not old school. It's the way that God wants us to be more like him. He left us an instruction manual called the Bible, and when you build something, you open the instruction manual and you follow it. If you open the instruction manual called the Word of God and follow it and obey it, you will be fruitful in every area of your life. Even in your finances. You say, yes, in my finances, yes, because there's principles of giving in the instruction manual. How to do it. There's, there's, there's principles how to love people, how to forgive people, how to, how to be free. So in Samuel, this is the time where the prophet said, hey, uh, I want you to kill everybody of the, of the enemy. I'm just giving you a recap, and I don't want you to leave anybody alive. Well, Saul, he put 
it on himself to kill a lot of the 90% of the people uh, that was the enemy and, and left the le- best livestock. How many know that 90% obedience is still disobedience? <laughs> what would you do for your, ki- for your kid, right? If, if, if you say, I want you to first go clean your room, then I want you to go to the kitchen, I want you to mop that up, and then I want you to finish your homework. And they come to you and said, Mom, I did everything. What would you do? I cleaned the kitchen, and I mopped the, the, the bathroom. Amen. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're going to say, you weren't obedient. And they're like, yeah, yeah I was. I did, I did pretty much what you did. No, you, you left one thing. You forgot your homework. Would you call that obedience? No. But that's what we do. Watch what the prophet Samuel says. So he said, but Samuel replied, no, wait, verse 20, go to verse 21. Verse, verse 21 in NLT. All right, don't go there. Oh, there it is. He said, then my troops, so, so Saul is saying, hey, the, uh, he's explaining to the prophet, hey, I did this, I did that, I did this. My troops brought the best of the sheep, goats, and plunder. And, then, and the only reason why I didn't really be obedient all the way is because, <laughs> I love this, because we're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. I, I know you told me to kill all these cattle, but I'm just going to take it on myself and determine what greatness and obedience is myself. Now, you would think that the prophet would say, good job. You're obedient to 99%. It's okay. Good job. Look at what the prophet said in the, in the next verse. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifice, watch this, or your obedience to the voice of the Lord? Listen, the prophet said, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. What the prophet was saying is that in order for you to be great in the eyes of the Lord, what the Lord is looking for is obedience. Now, I want you to look at me. Hone in on me for a second because I want to say something really powerful here because I started shouting at myself in my study time. (laughs) My wife was like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, go on, Holy Spirit. That's so good. I want to say something to you. (laughs) I want to say something to you. Seeking to be obedient to God's word, are you ready to shout with me, is not performance Christianity. A lot of times on these new movements that we're having, we're trying to say, well, you know what, brother, you're just preaching a little too over the top here. You're talking about obedience, and we're not called to perform. No, obedience does not have anything to do with performing. It has everything to do to being more like God and more like Christ in his word. Can I hear an amen? It's obedience that makes us great in the sight of the Lord. So don't ever confuse obedience and performance. Come on, somebody. Don't ever confuse obedience and performance because one will lead you to freedom and vibrancy. The other one will lead you to depression and frustration. Performance will lead you to frustrate a frustrated life. Because you, I've said this before, but it's worth saying it again. You could do an obedient act and still have an unsubmissive heart the whole time you're doing it. <laughs> and some of, all, some of you, I can see it th- th- through your faces. Just because, how, what would you think of, would you have a lot of joy if your son, and you said, I want you to go take the trash. She's like, <clears throat> Are you going to be like, man, that's such an obedient boy right there. <laughs> You could do an obedient act and have a wrong heart, and God says it's disobedient to me. It's about a heart motive. So, so obedience is not performance. 
is, execution, is executing the will of God. Can I hear an amen? And so that's what the Bible talks about when it says that he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. It, the Bible says it all the time in Scripture. In the book of Isaiah, you don't have to turn to it. The Bible says if you want to inherit the fruit of the land, you got to be willing and obedient first. See, a lot of us are willing, but we're not obedient. Or we're obedient, but not willing. <laughs> The Bible says, if you are willing and obedient, you will, he- you will eat the fruit of the land. So what is it, number one, to be great in the eyes of the Lord? How many want to be great in the eyes of the Lord? Okay, if you want to be great in the eyes of the Lord, seek obeying his word, not partially, but fully in your life. Seek to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and seek to love people well. So let's look at other examples in scriptures to give us a clue of being great in God's eyes. Are you getting something? Look at this. Look at Isaiah 66, verse 1. Oh, this is so good. You can slap your neighbor, but don't do it. <laughs> Isaiah, 61. Isaiah 66, verse 1. It's up there on your screen. Look at what some of the things that the Lord looks at, his eyes look at, to make us great. I don't know about you, but this is so liberating to me. I, I, don't, I don't have to perform in order to be great in the eyes of the Lord. I just love God, and I do what his word says, and he calls me great. That got one amen. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Then thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, my eyes will look on. Watch this, not on, on how much success you have in the world, or in your business, or in your finances, or in your weight loss program, that is great. That's all good. But that's not what God is looking for in his eyes. What does he say? He says, on this one I will look on him who is poor and contrite in spirit. Oh, watch this. And he who trembles at my word. He goes, I'm going to, I'm going to, modern day, 2018 version. Who could I look at that is drawing my attention? Oh, look, 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 angels. Look at that one right there. What's so good about that one? He's trembling at my word, and he's poor in spirit. He's humble. Let's look at him. You know what the Bible says about that? You know what that speaks of? That speaks of the inner working of humility when it comes to poor in spirit, the reality of the fear of the Lord, and a deep love for the word of God. You want to be great? I want here to tell you, it's not an old school paradigm or old wineskin paradigm to talk about the fear of the Lord. Because the Bible says you perfect holiness in the fear of God. He says, beloved, having these promises, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. I think we've stopped. Uh, to, I know preachers have, uh, have abused people by, by overly t- uh, harping, harping on something. But the fear of God is absolutely necessary to be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. Do you know, you know what you know the Bible says who he shares his secret with? His secret. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. See, I, I could talk, I could go like this. Come here, Harvest. I could say, I'm about to do something powerful in your life. And I'm gonna give you your heart's desire because you've been faithful to me. But <laughs> he never smiled. That's a miracle. So, but if I go here and I say, I'm actually trying to tell him something, but the reason why he's not, he's not 
hearing it, it's not because he doesn't love God. Maybe there's an error in his life that the Lord does not see the fear of the Lord in, in him, and it's not being able to tell a secret. You can only tell a secret to someone that's close to you. So being great in the sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord, has to speak with obedience. Say obedience. Now watch this. You can put that on the screen. I'm going to really pop it up. I'm going to go just a little bit later than usual today, so just hang on tight, okay? Have grace for me. Psalm 19, verse 14. We're going to pop it up on the screen. Psalm 19. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your what? In your what? He will be great in the what? In the eyes or the sight of the Lord. So David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, in your eyes. What is this talking about being great? What he's talking about in this verse is what, Lord, let what comes out my mouth be pleasing and also what doesn't come out my mouth be pleasing. See, we only, we only focus on being pleasing of what comes out our mouth, and we're like, whew, that's good. I didn't curse on that one. That's great. Pra- praise the Lord. I didn't complain. I didn't complain on that one. But inside, what's happening on your heart? There's a lot of times where there's a different language going on in here than what actually comes out of my mouth. You're laughing because you know that happened to you. So, so David is not just satisfied. He goes, Lord, here's my prayer. Here's my prayer. Let everything that comes out my mouth be pleasing and the things that is bubbling in my heart, that complaining, that murmuring, that frustration that is going to eventually come out my mouth, let that be pleasing in your heart too. That's greatness in the eyes of the Lord. How about Psalm 91? He who dwells in the secret place, hiddenness of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of Almighty. You want to be great? Go into a place of hiddenness for a while and let God raise you up. You don't become great by making yourself known and, and handing out uh, cards like, hey, let, let, me, let me preach in your church and look at the gifting I have. Look, No, you know who God is going to raise up in this hour? Those who have been years in hiddenness seeking God, and God suddenly was going to raise them up. That's what happened to David. David was in the wilderness, and he, and he was like a mama's boy. Everyone was out there, and he's, just, and, and he's going, and, he's, and they're, they're fighting, and he's out there, and he's in the wilderness, and he's just playing that harp. If that happened today, come on. Oh, fellas, let's just be, let's take the mask off for a second. If that happened, we'd be like, what's wrong with that dude? Come on, you ain't saying amen. You know what I'm saying. Well, what, what is wrong? Why is he always by himself playing an instrument? You know why? Because he was in a place of hiddenness that God was preparing him for public ministry. If you don't have your private life together, you're going to screw the, 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 the public life all really bad. The reason why people get hurt is because people are put into positions of leadership before they're developed in their heart. And so their anger issues comes out on people, and they blame it on the Lord. Or in our relationships with each other, and we blame it on our boldness. (laughs) To be great in the eyes of the Lord is to be okay to be in a place of hiddenness until until God promotes you. Can I hear an amen? And that's, this is what it's all about. This is, it's fair to say that being great in the eyes of the Lord looks much differently than being great in the world. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? We all need money, and we all need to strive for greatness in that area. But let me tell you, you can still be great in the eyes of the Lord and struggle financially. This, that's for somebody in this room. That, that's for somebody. That doesn't mean that God wants you there. That's not what I'm saying. 
He doesn't want you to. I'm not saying a poverty mentality. No, that's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is don't value God's greatness for your life or you being great in God's eyes. Let me tell you, you could be rich and have all the money and have bitterness, anger, offense at everybody else. What good is that? You can have your house paid for. You can have your bills paid for. Have everything that you need, but you're full of rage. That's not being great in the eyes of the Lord. Being great in the eyes of the Lord is loving God well and loving people well. It's simple. Be freed this morning. Come on, say amen. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing, now this, I want you to hone in on me. And I'm going to call the worship team in a second, but just, just watch this now. Now, what I'm about to say, I'll need you to listen through prophetic eyes because I am absolutely not trying to be legalistic here, okay? Can I hear, man? Put the second point up there. The second point up there for John the Baptist, all in verse 15, it talks about a lifestyle of consecration and holiness. In other words, a lifestyle of restraint. What made John the Baptist great was not only he was great in God's eyes, that the angel of the Lord says he prophetically, prophetically, that he will be marked all his life with a lifestyle of restraint, consecration, and holiness. And where do we get that? Where it says, where, where the phrase where it says he will not drink strong wine or strong alcoholic drink. Now, 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 watch, watch. I know, I know there's a lot of cool people in here. That verse is not intended to read from a legalistic viewpoint. That verse is not saying you're going to go to hell if you drink wine. Why? Because we know that Jesus himself turned wine. The first miracle that he did was Jesus turned water into wine in the wedding of Cana. He actually endorsed it. Now, now we all know, we all know, actually you may not know, but if you fast forward in the New Testament as well, in, in the epistles, Paul the Apostle told Timothy for his stomach problems, and his infirmities, he says, don't drink water anymore only. Drink a little wine for your stomach aches and your often infirmities and your frequent infirmities. So there was a medicinal, even today, purpose for wine. But when you have over-excessiveness of drinking alcohol in this sense and drawing, it will lead to a lifestyle of addiction and drunkenness. So what is that saying? What he is saying is that he will not touch wine or alcoholic drink is what he was prophetically saying is John the Baptist's life will be marked by a lifestyle of consecration and holiness and restraint in order to be great in the eyes of the Lord. Unfortunately, we have only limited consecration to be something when it comes to a relational dynamic. I'm consecrating myself from a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That's great. But consecration is much more than abstaining from certain types of relationships. Consecration has to do with restraining yourself from what your flesh wants to do. Man, I'm preaching better than you're saying amen today. Consecration, now watch this, and holiness and preaching on purity have almost become taboo in many churches today. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again. Consecration, purity, preaching on purity, preaching on holiness have become taboo to, to, for many churches because we think by, 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 by preaching on purity or by preaching on holiness that we are, are, are hard and we are over the top. And we use, Listen, John the Baptist got a lot of flack from people. He was probably labeled a heart preacher. He was probably an insensitive preacher. He was probably uh, labeled an over-the-top preacher because he spoke on holiness. And he spoke on consecration. And no matter how trendy we are, we can never say that holiness is old wineskin mentality. 
Because Jesus never said, be trendy as I am trendy. He said, be holy as I am holy. <laughs> There's a couple things he said, be like me. He didn't say, be, I'm sure he was, I mean, I'm sure Jesus had the best outfits out there. Glory to God. I'm sure Jesus could roll with the best of them. But he never said, be trendy like I am trendy. <laughs> he said, be holy as I am holy. And in many of the churches today, we will be considered legalistic, judgmental, out of touch, out of touch. I'm going to say that again. Out of touch. Come on, millennials. You know I'm talking. Oh, that's out of touch. That's, that's old. That's old. Oh, that's old wineskin, that holiness stuff. No, it's not. Holiness is not old wineskin. Now, legalistic stuff is, and it's from the enemy. I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm talking about something beautiful. Where you seek to be consecrated from the filth of your flesh and the filth of the world, and you actually have intentionality on that. It's not going to happen by itself. There's certain things that you and I have to get to a place where we turn from our eyes from looking and, of, of things and embrace holiness. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? We perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. I want the worship team to come, to come up. Oh, man. I wish I had more time. That phrase about John the Baptist is contending for a lifestyle of holiness in our lives with our battle of our flesh, in our relationships, how we handle money, how we speak to others. Do you know that holiness is not just one-dimensional? Do you know that part of being holy is how you talk to people? Do you know that the Bible says, be holy in all manner of conversation? <laughs> now, here's what we think that means. I'm going to bust your bubble. It doesn't mean what we think it means. You're like, oh, whew, that's good for me because I, I really don't use curse words. He's not talking about that there. I'm talking about in the manner that you speak and what you speak. Are you gossiping behind someone's back all the time? Are you complaining with your mouth all the time? But the Bible says, be holy in all manner of conversation. So what, what, what the Bible is talking about here is contending for a lifestyle of holiness when it comes to consecration. How many want to be great in the eyes of the Lord? Here's the second thing. Learn to be great in his eyes by, by pursuing a holy lifestyle. That doesn't get a lot of amens in churches today. Let me tell you something. If you want a church growth program or a church growth conference, don't invite John the Baptist to your church. <laughs> I will say that again. If you want church growth in the modern day era and you want a conference for church growth, do, do not invite him as your guest speaker because he will talk about turning. He will talk about repenting. And by the way, that's New Testament for those of you who want to challenge me. New Testament, after Jesus, okay, during the time of Jesus, even afterwards, Paul would do that. If you don't real, if you're, if you're stuck with many of the movements that we're seeing here, you could be, we need to embrace all of them. But listen, don't get so caught up in the trendiness of a, now, of a movement all in the name of love that we are scared to even mention holiness in our preaching anymore. You know, the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So, so if we don't preach it, then we're not preparing people right. Oh, come on. It's just love. It's just all in the name of love. It's lovey-dovey and this gracie-gracie. We, we've preached a gospel of love that doesn't confront fleshly lifestyle. And we say 
Don't mention that because then that's not love. Where does it say that in the Bible? If you as a parent could love your kid enough to discipline them when they're doing wrong because of love, how much more does God do that with us? As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something really good here. That wasn't in my notes. This is for free. Here. The Bible says, if you are corrected, then you are loved by, by the Father in Hebrews. He says, no child goes on without correction. And the Bible says, if you are without correction, then he says, then we are illegitimate and not sons. So guess what? A true sign that God loves you is when he lovingly corrects you. He's not picking a fight. See, that's what the problem. With our messed up mentality, he's like, oh, but, but, but that's not, that's not how, how I was taught. Now I feel condemned. God is not looking at all the bad people in the world saying, who can I pick on? What he's saying is, I love you enough to tell you that I don't want to leave you where you're at. Come to Jesus like you are, but don't stay like you are. Right? So the second thing to be great in the eyes of the Lord is to grow in your pursuit of holiness. Can I hear an amen? Oh, and I love the, I love, I love the last one here. Then we're going we're gonna to pray. The fourth, the third thing that the, the angel of the Lord said it was going to be a part of John the Baptist is he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Woo! I'm the only one getting excited about this. The angel of the Lord looked at his father, at the father of John, before he was born. He says, there's three main, well, there's more, but in first, verse 15, there's three. He said, he will be, number one, great in the eyes of the Lord. Say great. In the eyes of the Lord. He said, number two, he's going to live a consecrated life because he talked about he's not going to touch these things that are going to be filling the flesh, the wine, the over excessiveness, the drunkenness. He's going to have a lifestyle of holiness, and that's what's going to make him great. And the third thing that's going to make him great in my eyes is that not, he's not going to have a lot of charisma only. He's not going to have a lot of passion only. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of Christians and a lot of ministries that are operating their, uh, their ministries off of charisma, but there's no real power in their ministries. And there's no real power in their life. Why? Because they, they, as long as we stay cookie cutter in everything we do, then God, watch this, can't move like he wants to because if we're cookie cutter with everything we do, we gotta spend, we got to make sure we don't offend people. we gotta, we got to leave right at 12 o'clock. If we don't allow the Holy Spirit to move in our churches, then and what happens is that we won't be a recipient to what God wants to do now. You have to realize that when you put a spiritual person or spiritual ministry, you will always give permission for the Holy Spirit to move. And the reason why certain people don't want to include the Holy Spirit anymore is because, watch this, they'll lose control if they do. Do you hear what I just said? When we got our life all planned out, and we got our services all planned out, and we got our, our things all planned out, and if we don't include the person of the Holy Spirit to come and empower us, to come and fill us. That's why Jesus says, and you shall be endued with power. When? When? After the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be endued with power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You don't hear churches talk or emphasize the movement of the Holy Spirit anymore on Sunday mornings. Why? Because if they do, it will mess everything up. It will mess up their beautiful. <laughs> I'm not against 
order. I love order. But if we are so orderly that we cannot allow God to interrupt and heal someone or move on someone or talk on someone. You know, many times Jesus is walking. If you read the scriptures, he'll be walking to one destination. All right? And he's going to go to, to a house of the centurion to heal him. And all of a sudden, someone touches him who has an issue of blood. A desperate woman touches him and says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And there's all these people touching him, and he feels power leaving him. And he goes, who touched me? And he stops. He stops in the middle of it. And, 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 the, and, and that guy's like, he better hurry up and go to his destination. He's always interrupted by the Holy Spirit here. He could have said, no person with the issue of blood, I know you're desperate, but you just kind of have to keep bleeding because I have an agenda. I want to keep on going. Watch, watch. He stopped what he was doing. He turned around. He said, who touched me? And the disciple says, come on, Jesus. How can you say who touched you? Everyone's touching you. He goes, no, I felt power come out of me because faith moved, moved me to, to, to have power. And here she, when he stops, here's this, this lady and she is terrified. She goes, it was me. He goes, what happened with you? He goes, I, was, I had an issue of blood for 12. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Ladies, could you imagine having an issue of blood? You know what that means. For 12 years nonstop. You get cranky for three days. Imagine for three years. Glory to God. <laughs> Wait. Wait, I'm just trying to take a picture here. <laughs> That's not what I meant either. Three, what I was saying is, <laughs> 12 years, she was desperate. She was desperate. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit because he was walking, and the Holy Spirit said, stop, because someone touched you. He could have kept on going. The Bible says one of the things that made John the Baptist great is that he depended solely on the Holy Spirit. He'll be filled. The Bible says he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. we got way too many churches that operate cookie-cutter, which is great, but they have no power of the Holy Spirit. And so this woman got healed, and then well, guess what happened when that woman was healed? The dude died who, where he was going for. And now, now all of a sudden, now everything's messed up. Now he's like, the, the servant comes in and says, hey, Jesus, don't worry. Don't bother. The dude is dead. He didn't say dude, but he says, he's dead. Jesus says, no, take me where he's at, right? The Bible says that, that he was constantly led. He got healed. Why do I say that? Because even Paul the Apostle, look at this, Paul the Apostle even contended, was not satisfied with his preaching or his teaching. As a matter of fact, Paul the Apostle labeled his preaching average. But watch what he says in Corinthians. Put that scripture up there in Corinthians chapter 2. Oh, glory to God. We're going to pray for modern day John the Baptist to arise. Because even the great Apostle Paul was not satisfied with his great revelation. If you're just satisfied with your department that you lead or your, your life that you have, your good house, and if you are not contending for a movement of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're not contending for more of the Holy Spirit to sometimes interrupt your plans so that he could get what he desires, then you're missing out. We need to be people that are led by the Holy Spirit. 
So watch this. Look at what Paul says. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's great secret plan. Now, some people are satisfied with that. If I could just speak well, then I have a big church. Here's the problem sometimes that we have with RCC is that we're a church that allows the Holy Spirit to mess things up. And you know what? Every now and then, when you allow the Holy Spirit that much freedom, it gets a little messy. <laughs> and some people don't like messy. They just want, no, I don't want people screaming. That's too loud for me. I don't, you know, the church finds anything to be offended. <laughs> it's too hot in here. It's too loud in here. It's too free in here. It's too black in here. It's too white in here. It's too cold in here. It's too, it's too, it's too, it, uh, it's too free in here. Why, why are people clapping? Why are people shouting? Why, because they're free because the Holy Spirit is doing something. No one comes out of prison after being there for 30 years and saying, yay. I get to taste freedom for the first time in 30 years. Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to shout. I don't want to be excited because people will be offended at me if I get excited. Oh, I can't shout. No, I can't, I can't clap. I can't get excited. No, no, that's not, that's not proper. Yes, it is proper. You know why I shout so much and I'm happy so much? Not because I read a bunch of books of how to be happy. It's because I've been delivered from a lot. Now look, 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 look. For Paul the Apostle, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, I decided that I was with you. When I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus, the one who was crucified. Look at the next verse. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message, Paul the Apostle said, and my preaching were very plain. Look at me. It was boring, guys. It was just, he's like, look, look, I'm not all that of a preacher. I'm not all that of a teacher. He says, rather than using clever persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues. That's what we label being spirit. No. Are you putting preeminence to the Holy Spirit to lead you in every area? Because I've, spe I've seen people speak in tongues and they're worse than some of the worldly people I know. I'm talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to move upon your life and allowing Him to release the power of God in your life. If you do that, then you'll see the way that you be great in the sight of the Lord is, number one, be great in His eyes. Number two, which means integrity, which means loving God, which means loving people. If you want to be great in the eyes of the Lord, number two, God is looking for a lifestyle of consecration and holiness. And if you really want to be great in the eyes of the Lord, it's not about performance. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to control and yield to Him so that you could be free in every area of your life. Would you let the Holy Spirit do mess up some of your plans? And would you allow the Holy Spirit to talk about areas of your life that you don't want to talk to anybody about? Would you let the Holy Spirit restore a relationship that you haven't had restored in you? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to do that? Come on, let's lift up your hands. Let's stand up before the Lord, and we're going to pray. Come on. I want to see John the Baptist come. I want to see a modern-day move of great in the eyes of the Lord. I feel in my heart while I was praying. We're going we're gonna to pray. But when I was praying, I felt that some of you have beat yourself up because you've been trying to be great in the worldly sense, and you have failed to be great in the eyes of the Lord. It's simple. God is looking for greatness in His eyes, not in greatness in the world. 
God is looking for you not to measure greatness by how much money you make. God is not asking you to be great by how much you are influential to people or if you are weak or not. God uses weak people. What God is after is do you love God well? Come on. Do you love people well? Do you, are you really looking for a lifestyle of holiness or are you making an excuse that that's old wineskin? God is still saying be holy as I am holy. Come on. And are you, also, are you allowing the, the person of the Holy Spirit to take control of your life or do you have everything planned out? Do you make room for Holy Spirit interruptions in your life? Come on, I want to contend for that today. Say, Lord, I want you to lead my business. I want you to lead my family. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, lift up your hands right now all over this place. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.